Good morning. It's a privilege for me to come share the word of God with you this morning. I'm obviously very nervous, um, but um, the Lord will help us. We are going to be reading from Psalm 90. So please open your bar- turn your bar- Bibles to Psalm 90, 90, Psalm 90. Uh, we'll read it together and then we'll pray and then we'll take it from there. Psalm 90, the prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return men to dust and say, Return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. We have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we've seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Let's pray. Lord, we are gathered here this morning, and we have come to worship you and to hear you speak to us today through your word. We have, we have different experiences during the, the week, yet we pray that in this very special time, you will quieten our hearts so that we will hear you speak to us. Address our hearts and minds, which are often distracted. Encourage these hearts, which are prone to grow cold. So do speak to us, Lord, we pray. We pray that your spirit will illumine your word in our hearts and cause our hearts to be molded more and more into the likeness of your Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. 
in the novel The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien. There's two characters there. One is Bilbo Beggins, another one is Golem. They play a game of riddles. If Bilbo wins, then Golem has to show him the way out of a tunnel. But if Bilbo loses, he becomes Golem's dinner. And this is how the riddle goes. This thing, all things, devours. Birds, beasts, trees, flowers. It gnaws iron, bites steel. It grinds hard stones to mill. It slays, it, it slays king, it ruins town, and it beats high mountain down. Let me repeat the riddle. This thing all things devours. Birds, beasts, trees, flowers, gnaws iron, bites steel, grinds hot stones to meal, slays king, ruins town, and beats high mountain down. And the answer is time. Friends, one of the biggest enemies that you and I have is time. We will not outlive it. None of us will be able to outlive time. You may be as beautiful or as pretty as a picture. Time will outlive you. You may be as strong as an elephant. You will not outlive time. You may possess the smarts of the most intelligent man. You may be as rich and as powerful as King Solomon. You may be young or old, poor and rich, black, colored, Indian, white. You may be the most powerful, the most influential, the most revered, the most celebrated, the most famous. Whatever your status, your enemy is time. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, chapter 3, verse 2 tells us, there is a time to be born and a time to die. Everyone born will die. Everyone who is listening to the sound of my voice right now will die. Your life will be like footprints on the sand that will be blown away by the wind or washed away by the waters of the sea. Brothers and sisters, we've got to understand that in this journey of life, we're pilgrims, we're sojourners. Our time here on earth is short. And so how we live really matters because in an instant we'll be gone. And Moses speaks about time. If you read verses 1 through to 17, 
you will realize that there is allusion to time. And I want us to go through this psalm again. Let me show you how he refers to time. Verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. The question is, how long has he been his people's dwelling place? Throughout all generations, in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever yet formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. This answers the question, how long have you been God? Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Verse 3, you return men to dust and say, return, O children of men. Verse 4 gives us a period. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past. Or as a watch in the night, it's very short. Life is brief. That's time. Verse 5, you sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream. It's very sudden. It's very short. It's very brief. Like grass that is renewed in the morning. And in the morning it flourishes and is renewed. And in the evening it fades and with us. It gives us a period of time for the existence of man. For we are brought to an end by your anger. When are we brought to an what, what brings us to an end? It is your anger. But we are brought to an end. We are brought to an end. We come to the end of time. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in light of your presence. For all our days pass away. What's that? What's, what's that? It is time. We have a period allotted to us in which to live. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. A sigh is very brief. Again, time. The years of our life are 70 or by reason of strength 80. Time. They are soon gone and we fly away. Soon. They will not last long, they'll be gone. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, time. Return, oh Lord, how long? Time, how long is it going to take for you to return, Lord? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us when? In the morning, time, with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad. For how long? All our days, time. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, time, and, as, and for as many years as we've seen evil, time. So we see that this psalm, psalm is about time. It is about time. Moses is not the only one that is concerned about time and what we do with time or how fleeting or how brief 
our time here on earth is. David is as well in Psalm 39 verse 4. He says, Oh Lord, make me know my end. And what is the measure of my days? Let me know how fleeting. Let me know how transient, how short-lived I am. The psalm is about the brevity of human life. It's about the limited time that we have here on earth. And of course, Moses is very much aware of the brevity of life and the fleeting nature of time. And he wants to demonstrate four vital facts that we must consider in order to spend our time wisely. And we'll come to these four considerations or four facts. This is probably the oldest psalm in the book. There's no direct evidence when the psalm was written. But in order to understand it, we all need to remember the occurrences, the happenings in the wilderness. For 40 years, Moses has watched an entire generation of God's people be swept away because of the wrath of God directed at them, because they had been rebellious to their God and they refused to enter the promised land. Brothers and sisters, these generations went around, round and round and round in circles. Someone said, if there was ever a generation that wasted time, this was the generation. It squandered time. And given the two censors in Numbers 1 and 26, it is likely that Moses oversaw thousands and thousands and millions of people dying in the 40 years of the wilderness experience. Someone suggested that on average, that would be 70 to 140 people dying every single day. Day after day, week after week, month after month, people are dropping dead like flies. And so Moses, inspired by the Spirit of God, hence the psalm. He wants us to consider the importance of time. He wants us to see that our life is brief, that man is frail, man is weak. He wants to compare the frailty of man and the everlasting nature of God. He wants to display who God is and his everlasting nature, that he exists outside of time. And he wants to demonstrate that you and I exist within the bounds of time. And soon our time on earth will be up. And it's always a gracious thing when God shows these things to us because by his spirit we can be helped to live accordingly, to obey him as he aids us to. So it's an act of grace that God will show us that we don't have as much time as we think we do. So I want us to consider this psalm um, under these four 
points. Number one, consider that God is eternal. Verses one and two, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The second point is, consider that man's life is fleeting. Verses 3 through to 6. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but, yet, but, are but as yesterday when it is past, or a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. And in the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and with us. The third point, consider the wrath of God is inevitable. The wrath of God is inevitable. Verses 7 through to 11. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but 12 and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? And the last point, consider that the right response to God is required. The right response to God is required verses 12 through to 17. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we've seen evil. Let your word be shown to your servants and your glorious power to, the children, to, the, to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. First, consider that God is eternal. First, we see in verses 1 and 2 that, God, that, that Moses rather puts God's eternality on full display. Why does he do that? Why does he elevate the eternality of God? He does so so that we can see that in comparison to God, our lives are very, very brief. Our lives are short. He wants to demonstrate how weak man is. First, let's make some observation. He refers to Lord or God as Lord, Adonai, the sovereign ruler. He refers to God as the sovereign ruler, the one who's sovereign over his creation, the ruler of the universe. And he says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. What does he mean? He says, for as long as the generations of God's people have existed, there's never been a time that God has not been their dwelling place. 
God has been their dwelling place, is their dwelling place, and he forever remains their dwelling place. There's never a time that he ceases to be their dwelling place. And like we observed, this answers the question, how long, how long, this is time, he has been the dwelling place of his people forever. That's how long he's been that dwelling place. There's never been a time in the existence of the people of Israel that God has not been God. But also, there's never been a time in the, in the existence of the world that God has not been ruler, that he's not run the affairs of the world by his sovereign world, that he's not done what he pleases when he pleases to do it. God is God. He exists outside of time. The second thing that I want us to see is, so he says, before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He just continues to emphasize the eternality of God. Here he says, before the mountains were born, before the mountains came into existence, before ever you formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So you are God. For how long have you been God? From everlasting to everlasting. Before creation, you are God. And this begs the question, can the creator be created? It's impossible to create, to be created while you are the creator, because the creator, by virtue of him being the creator, creates his outside of time, and everything that exists, exists within time, because he has created it within time. Its lifespan depends on him. When the time is up, he will bring it to an end. You have formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. It's a good thing all of us live here in Cape Town, or most of us live here in Cape Town now. We're surrounded by these mountains. We're surrounded by the sea. Um, and yet, we don't often, or men does not often think about who created these beautiful things that we get to enjoy. And it's very funny that Cape Town is known for its natural beauty. And the question is, why do we refer to this beauty as natural? Because something deep inside of us acknowledges the fact that the beauty that there is here has got absolutely nothing to do with us. We found it here because the Creator created it. On Tuesday, my wife and I went atop the Table Mountain. It was the first time I'd gone. My wife had been a few times. I was amazed. I was just blown away by the beauty of this place, by the panoramic view of the city and all that exists in the city. 
But one thing that stunned me was I found out that the a range of mountains that we were looking at were called the 12 apostles. I did not know that. And I thought, this is silly. To name mountains after the apostles, call them apostles, the sent ones, and yet you don't acknowledge that these mountains proclaim the, the, the glory of the one that put them here. It's very silly. Man is foolish. He contradicts himself. He says one thing because the truth of God's existence is embedded in him, and yet he denies the very truth that he acknowledges, the very truth that he knows, because God put it in his heart. But God is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He controls time. He's the uncreated creator. The second thing that I want us to look at is consider that man's life is fleeting. Verses 3 through to 6 says, You return men to dust. You return men to dust. Here, Moses acknowledges that it is God that returns men to dust. God is in control of man's life. He grinds man into powder. And man here is not Adam. So you return man. It's not Adam. This is a word that describes man's weakness. So here Moses wants to emphasize how weak, the frailty, the weakness of man, how weak man is. You return man to dust. This is the same word that Job uses in Job 7, 17, who is man that you consider him this much? But you return man to, to dust, you return man to destruction, and you say, return, O children of man. This is an allusion to Genesis 3, 19. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The Latin Vulgate renders this very verse, Thou turnest men to humiliation, which though not the sense of the original, but that's the idea, that the man that was the epitome of strength and power and creativity is turned into dust when God returns him to dust. One who was powerful, one who was proud, one who dominated others is humiliated. I mean, there's nothing as humiliating as death, right? When someone is lying there, they're helpless. They can't do anything. They can't even bury themselves. So you return men to dust and say, return, O children of man. And verse 4 says, for a thousand years in your side are but as yesterday when it is past. Moses says, it does not matter how long man lives, even if he lives a thousand years, to God is like a day. 
or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning, and in the morning it flourishes and is renewed, and in the evening it fades and withers. So here we see the brevity, the shortness of life. He says, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past. And he says, or as a watch in the night. Tradition tells us that this watch was on duty for one third of the night. That's like four hours. So your life is compared to four hours in the night. Just four hours. That's how short and how fleeting it is. And he says, you sweep them away as with a flood. What does he mean? He means that a flood comes and sweeps this life suddenly. Suddenly, when you think you've got your ex together and you're grounded, what does the flood do? It comes and wipes this little life away. It's like a dream. It's like a dream. Like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed and in the evening it fades and with us. Our lives are insignificant. And this is the emblem of man. This is what characterizes man. And we live in a world where, even Brother Denver was speaking about it the other day, where self-esteem is a big thing. In fact, there's a thing about affirmations where people are supposed to wake up in the morning, stand in front of a mirror and make some affirmations and say, I'm strong and beautiful, I'm powerful, I can achieve anything that I put my, my mind to. But look at what the Bible says. He says, you like grass, you wither and tossed into the fire. you like four hours of the night, your life is very brief, so imagine if we taught our children to stand in front of the mirror and instead of saying I'm powerful and beautiful and strong and I can achieve anything, we, we, we encourage them to say, you need to be crying for the mercy of God because you're weak, you're frail, your life is very short, you're not as strong as you think you are, you're not as powerful as you think you are. Everything that you have comes from the Lord and it's got to be used for the glory of God. This is the idea here. In the morning, it flourishes and is renewed and in the evening, it fades away. And this is not... Moses is not the only one that says this. James, for example... Um, James, for example, says this in James 4.14. He says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. James 4.14. And Psalm 39, verse 5, this is David. We looked at it. He says, behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. We like mere breath. We like... Mere breath. Job 7 6 says, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to their end without hope. Job 9 25 and 26 says, My days are swifter than a runner. 
my days outrun a runner. My days come to an end as quickly or more than or as faster than a runner. They go by like skips of reed, like an eagle swooping on a prey. So we see here that Moses wants to emphasize the fact that our life is brief, very, very brief, and we will die. And I know some of you are sitting here thinking, where's the hope? This is morbid. Just hang on, we'll come to the hope. There is hope. And the question is, why is life so brief? Why is it? that life is so fragile? Why is it that man does not live forever? And verse 7 answers that, for we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You, may, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet that lifespan is by the toll and trouble. They're soon gone, and we fly away. This brings us to the third point. Consider the wrath of God or consider that the wrath of God is inevitable. There's a question in verse 11. Who considers the power of your anger and the wrath according to the fear of you? And the answer is nobody does. Nobody does because this will inform the prayer that follows from verse 12. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you. Many people do not believe that God is angry, that God is a God of love, but as much as he is a God of love, he is a God of wrath and he will punish sin. Many people want a God of love, a God just loves and tolerates sin, a God who never punishes sin, but the truth is, God will punish sin. And the reason why we die as we do, the reason why our life is as brief as, brief as it is, it's because of the wrath of God. Man has sinned against God. Man has sinned against God, and he deserves the wrath of God. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? Who is it? Many people do not. Many people think, why am I suffering? God is not just. Why is there so much hurt? and suffering, and death, and sickness in the world. And they do not associate this with their own sinfulness. They do not know, or they do not acknowledge that this has got to do with the sin 
of man. The sin of man is ever before God. And those who do not put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ will perish. There's no running away from the wrath of God. There's no running away from the wrath of God. In fact, I'm reminded of Romans 1 verse 18. Let's turn there quickly. Romans 1 verse 18. Romans 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown you to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. The wrath of God is being unleashed on humanity. However, all is not lost. And that is why, as Moses considers the eternality of God as compared to the brevity, the short nature of our lives, he comes to this point. He comes to pray. He comes to this point where he prays as he considers the sinfulness of man and that man deserves the wrath of God, that our lives are short. And as he has reflected on the eternality of God, he comes to this point. Verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. So Moses pray, and that's what I want us to consider. Consider the right response to God's, consider the right response Consider that the right response to God is required. So consider that the right response to God is required. So let's, let's look at this prayer. First he says, who considers, verse 11, who considers the power of your anger and, the, and your wrath according to the fear of you? And the question is, we don't. Man does not. Man does not. Man needs help to be able to consider the power of God's anger and the wrath according to the fear of God. So the word he rendered consider um, in verse 11, the ESV, is who knows 
the power of your anger? Who knows the power of your anger? So teach us to number our days. I think there's a connection there because that word, teach us, is make us know, make us know, make us know the number of our days. Make us know the number of our days. Who knows the power of your anger? We don't. So he prays, make us know the number of our days. And I want us to observe a few things here. Number one is Moses says, for us to be able to consider the power of God's anger, we need supernatural help. We're not able to consider how angry God is towards sinful humanity unless God teaches us or unless there is supernatural help from above. This is incredible because a lot of people think they can do the work of God without acknowledging God. They can do the work of God according to their own ideas. They can live wise, productive lives, and that will please God. But it does not come from within. This kind of pleasing God, this kind of living, this kind of knowing comes from outside man. It comes from outside man. That is why Moses, inspired by the Holy Spirit, would say, so teach us to number our days. Make us know. Unless you make us know, there's no way of knowing how to number our days. Unless you make it possible for us, it's impossible for us to do that. Teach us to number our days. Why do we need to be taught to number our days? So that we may get a heart of wisdom. So that our disposition, our entire being, may be comprised of wisdom. So that we may be able to discern the truth of God. So that we may be able to obey the instructions of God so that we may be able to accept that which God reveals in his word and live according to it. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. And he continues to pray, return, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, how long? And we do know that one of the ways that God demonstrated his displeasure in the Old Testament was to remove his presence, as it were. And Moses cries out and he says, return, how long? Return, come, re return, relent, repent, how long, Lord? And he does what all of us are supposed to be doing. He says, have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years 
as we've seen evil. Moses has got, he understands theology. He's got his theology right here. He says, return, O Lord, have pity, have mercy on us. Satisfy us in the morning. With what are you supposed to satisfy us? With your steadfast love. Unless we have your steadfast love, unless we receive your mercy, we will not be satisfied. That satisfaction begins with you granting us mercy. It begins with you granting us mercy and making us your own, your own people. That's where it begins. And that is why if you're sitting here and you think you're just going to be a good person without acknowledging, without coming to Christ in repentance, it is futile because any work done for anything else apart for Christ will be futile in the end. Everything that's done for anything apart from Christ will be futile in the end. The degrees that people have, the constructions that they have made, if they have made them but have not acknowledged Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior, they have not come to Christ in repentance, all that are just good works, but they are futile. So Moses acknowledges that, that we need your mercy. Have pity. Have pity. Doesn't it remind you of the parable in Luke 18 of the tax collector and the Pharisee? Jesus tells us about these two men. One is praying and he's appraising himself and, 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 and he is saying, you know, I'm not like, you know, the rest of these people. I'm a great guy. And here is a tax collector who is standing far off and is crying out, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus says, today you will be justified. This is what Moses does here. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. The rejoicing and the, which is the same thing, rejoicing and being glad all our days is incumbent upon the message of God. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and as many years as we've seen evil. And then he goes on and he says, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Now that we've received mercy, now that we have received pity, show us your work. Show us your work. Show us your work and your glorious power. Let the favor of our Lord be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. He's basically saying, having received the mercy of God, now we can work. How do we work? We work for the glory of God. We work for his glory. In conclusion, 
I want to ask you this question. Who are you living for? I'd like to encourage you, young people sitting here, dedicate your life to the glory of Christ. Endeavor to live for Christ. Whatever you do in your studies, in your job, whatever it is that you do, endeavor to do it for the renown and the glory of Christ. All people sitting here, you're closer to the grave, as it were, than when you first began. Live, finish well, live for the glory of Christ. You're suffering, you've got ailments, you've got different kinds of struggles, you're burying your children or you're burying people that you love. Endure for the glory of Christ. Glorify Christ in your suffering. Whatever you do, how, however um, long you still have got to live, live for the glory of Christ. And for those who do not know him, your life is futile if you have not come to Christ. Your life is futile if you do not repent of your sin and beg for God's mercy and is faithful to those who come humbly begging for his mercy. So cry out to him, begging for mercy so that you will spend your time wisely living for him and him alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness towards us. We thank you, Father God, that you have loved us with an everlasting love. Father God, it's not because we have deserved or merited your love, but it's because of your mercy. You have had pity on us, and that is why today, Father God, we can come and praise you. So we pray, Father God, in light of this psalm, help us to endeavor to live for you and you alone. Father God, whether it's in our jobs, in our marriages, Father God, whatever we do, help us to do it for the glory of your name. We pray, Father God, for those who are not saved. We just pray, Father, that you'll subdue their stubborn hearts. And Father God, you will grant them mercy. We pray, Father God, that they will come to you crying for mercy. And you, who is faithful, will forgive them. So we pray, Father God, that you soften their hearts. You open their hearts to your word. Father God, you help them to see the truth of your word, acknowledge it, accept it, and obey it. We just pray, Father God, that you will do it for the glory of your Son. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Amen.